1: The Telegraph. Telegraph.
2: Podcasts.
3: Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, we review England's comfortable win over Bulgaria and preview their upcoming comfortable win against Kosovo. Are we, stroke I, underestimating the Kosovans? Only time and exactly one football match will tell. Wales and Scotland are looking far less assured than England, neither side convinced at the weekend. What's going wrong with them and how can it be fixed? Plus, Watford bid farewell to Javi Garcia and say hello again to Kike Sanchez Flores, an opening weekend to remember in the WSL and it's the reappearance of our favourite wife slash agent in a song for Europe take you now into the audio recording facility where I have a pared down but extremely well-formed lineup. Just two other audio football club members with me today. The first is Ali Tweedow. How are you, Ali?
1: I'm wonderful, Tom. How Good. are you? Good.
3: Yeah, I'm thriving, thank you. I'm I've, I've very much excited by the return of uh, NFL, which is not what this podcast is about. We've got to stay on the soccer track today, but that is... Uh, it's
1: Maybe a, s- a bit later, just at the end. We'll squeeze something
3: in. Dire- we'll do a director's cut. We'll do a sort <laughs> of bo- have- a secret bonus podcast.
2: I do have a topic that comes up that I then somehow lead into the NFL. Okay,
3: Mi- Mina Razuki, uh, you've spoiled some bit of the podcast there by <laughs> announcing it in advance. Um, but, uh, but, you know, fair play.
2: I just, it's supposed to be a teaser. Now I have to mention it because if I decide to not bring it up, then it's just not going to make sense anymore.
3: All right, we'll all look forward to that moment back to actual football we will start with england versus bulgaria sadly no matt law with us today in the audio recording facility but we have got him in pre-recorded form here's what he made of it
4: so england beat bulgaria 4-0 in saturday's euro 2020 qualifier um that's 14 goals now in three games in qualifying for gareth southgate's team so they're finding it fairly comfortable Bulgaria did actually have a couple of chances, a couple of decent ones in the first half and one in the second, which will be some area of concern um, for Southgate. Obviously, once uh, the front three got going, though, Bulgaria couldn't cope with them. That front three for England's looking really exciting now. Sterling is now producing the form for England that he has showed for some time for Manchester City. Um, Harry Kane is Harry Kane what can you say I think he will get Wayne Rooney's goal scoring record Um, he's on 25 goals now in I think 40 appearances for England Um, Rooney had about 14 goals in 40 appearances so he is well on his way to beating that record and and Rashford wasn't incredible on Saturday but he still won a penalty um, and is playing his part so that is really encouraging for Southgate Kosovo on Tuesday are going to potentially produce the biggest test of the group um they've been in very good form nicknamed the brazil of the balkans i believe so that could be a bit more interesting but uh, this group already looks formality for for england
3: Fair to say matt didn't sound terribly enthused by that match how about you mina and ali a four mil win for england but not a very interesting game to watch
2: I think it wasn't a very interesting game to watch because Bulgaria didn't put up a kind of challenge that maybe we had hoped for.
3: Yeah, first half especially, they just offered so little.
2: It was... I don't know what it is. I think it's because their name would suggest, you know, their history would suggest that they would know how to do that. Obviously, if you look at their recent form, it's been so tragic that you shouldn't have really expected anything more than that.
3: It's been a long time since they were in an international tournament.
2: Yeah, but you know, I'm one of those people that just feels like you know
1: a so, bit of nostalgia for them yeah a little yeah, bit like Romanian
2: hungry stalls will scare me you yeah, know those yeah. types of things like it's just like you remember I was
1: expecting them to be better than that just based on Euro 96 basically <laughs> <laughs> yeah, were you expecting Storchkov to be playing? <laughs> well no but I, I just think that there's an element of that Kind of, they are, they are, yeah, they are just one of those teams that you expect to be better than they are. You expect but they're, competence, don't you? Yeah, they they, they, were they
3: played like Ninos,
1: yeah, well, at least yeah, get
2: yeah. the fundamentals right. But they were playing like Faroe Islands, let's be honest,
1: you know. <laughs> um, it's just one of those games that has to happen in qualifying. Let's just, it, 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 we, they all get forgotten as soon as the, the weekend's over or Monday's over, I should say. Um, but yeah, it's just got, got to be a box ticked, basically.
3: Yeah, but you've got to say hats off to Harry Kane, I think. Uh, I think there's a mark of greatness, in a way, to score a hat-trick in games like this. This is how you end up breaking golf-scoring records. You've got to take your chances against teams like this. It, you know, took his penalties wonderfully.
2: But that's just it. They're penalties. So I don't so feel what? like it's they, a hat-trick from a
1: I, I really, It really frustrates me when people say <laughs> they're, they're just penalties. If you took penalties away, Tottenham would get relegated or something <laughs> like that. You can't. You don't take penalties well, then that away. That goes they, to show
2: you what kind they, of... I'm joking. They they, <laughs> Earning a penalty is different, though.
1: He did earn the second one.
2: Uh, yeah. Marcus Rashford?
1: No, Rashford earned the first. No, and the, then the first one, and you're right. for the He did earn the second one. Yeah. And, and he set up another one, didn't he? So, yeah, it
2: was, oh, it was fair good. Fair play. I think he's a wonderful striker. But I just would have liked, on this occasion, perhaps to try out a different front line.
3: Do you agree with Matt, though, Mina, that Kane will go on to beat Wayne Rooney's total of 53 goals for England?
2: Well, I think he's earned the right to, um, to try at least. I think he's one of the most... I think he's a fantastic striker, and I know that he gets a lot of flack. I was listening to quite a lot of shows um, just over the weekend of people just saying, oh, but look at his stats against the big teams. And I'm somebody who always judges these things a lot. Like, you know, what about the pressures? Can he do it against a big squad? You know, where was he against Croatia? Where was he against... But sometimes I think that when it comes to Harry Kane, it's... Why are you you smirking like that? Because I
1: thought I, I... I presume you were talking about the World Cup Croatia. Uh, oh yes, He scored, against, scored the winner against Croatia in the Nations League a couple of months later.
2: So. Oh. No, I meant the World Cup, right. the actual big stage. Golden
1: boot yeah. winner as well at the World <laughs> Cup, Mina.
2: <laughs> yes, he is, absolutely. And I know that he gets a lot of flack for the big games, but I don't think this actually has anything to do with him not actually turning it on in the big games in the same way that sometimes I've criticized Lewandowski in certain in games or Paulo Dybala or whoever it is. But with Harry Kane, I think it's a product of the system. So, in the smaller against the smaller sides or against teams like Bulgaria, then England can dominate. And Harry Kane, you'll see, really knows how to take advantage of that and really knows how to you know exploit and score. But when it comes to perhaps against teams that are very strong, you know, whether it's your Croatians in not in the Nations League, you know, what you know some of the big sides then you'll notice that England sort of take the stage of let's try to be predatory, let's try to score from corner kicks, let's try to score from different ways and not necessarily be able to dominate midfield, dominate the game, have possession and find ways of going through, which just sort of makes Harry Kane a little bit less important to the side.
3: What about Sterling, Ellie Looked a cut above for England, certainly in the first half. Are England set up to get the best out of him at the moment? It strikes me that he's the sort of player that you could feasibly retool the entire team and just make it about getting the best out of Sterling?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. He is our best player, I think. Um, I, I do worry slightly about him because naturally he gets... Uh, he's thought of as a bit of a creator for England and that's not quite what he is. He's, he's a real goal scorer now. Um, and England don't have the same level of creativity that he benefits from at City. Um, and I think... He definitely needs to be the kind of player who's making that run into the box for tap-ins like he was against uh, for that goal from Kane. Um, But if you've also got Rashford and Kane in the front three, you've got three players who are all going to be doing largely the same thing. Um, And, I guess in midfield, we don't really have the same players that are going to play those brilliant through balls to get players into the byline, stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, um, I maybe don't we think... we should,
2: though. I think maybe that's the problem.
1: Yeah, it is a problem. Um, and so, I guess, in answer to your question, we're not, I don't think we are quite set up to get the best of him, and that's a bit of a shame. Um, but, yeah, we should be doing everything to get the most of him, definitely.
3: You mentioned you wanted to see a different front three, Mina. What would you have done for the Bulgaria game?
2: Well, I...
1: Jaden Sancho, no?
2: I know, I know. Everyone's going crazy about Jadon Sancho, but I, I think sometimes everything in good time. You know, okay. I do think that on this occasion, I, I think Rashford deserves to be called up, deserves to start that game. I thought he did tremendously well. I like the way that he thinks because you can just see the way that he's on the pitch and he's thinking to himself. Right. planning. i I'm not getting the ball, so I need to drop deep, start picking it up. Like, this is what I can do to find possession. Um, I'm going to run at them. I'm going to win my one-on-one duels. And I, I just, he always sort of goes through like the basics in his head and tries to do what he can based on the environment and the, and the football match. I do think that with a more fluid front three that you can't necessarily get with Harry Kane, right? That it would just be considering the talent that is there, like you said, Jadon Sancho, Marcus Rashford, Raheem Sterling, have them all sort of interchanging uh, scoring goals. And against a team like Bulgaria that was set up with sometimes flipping to a back five, you know, why not? Why not try something different? Because you could see how deep they are. You could see how defensive they are. It was difficult to break them down until, obviously, they give us away the first goal. Why not do something a little bit more different? Why not have movement? Um, why not test out that the flexibility of changing that front line? Because Harry Kane is more of a traditional number nine, so it'd be nice to see what alternatives you can get. And I think these are the types of matches against teams that defend very deep. It gives you an idea of what you could potentially face. Why not try something different? Um, Alternatively, other sides might, you know, I mean, obviously, smaller teams struggle with someone and the presence of Harry Kane. So maybe, you know, bigger teams won't. And and that's when you should try the front three. I really don't know. But I do think there needs to be flexibility and you need to start experimenting about that. And the formation changes now.
3: Kosovo next up for England on Tuesday night. You would expect that is another good chance to see a few more of the squad players. But Southgate is saying he's not going to change it around that much. Is that right, Ali? Wouldn't you mix it up a little bit for the Kosovo game?
1: Yeah, um, I think there is a danger, just as we've uh, completely misjudged Bulgaria, there's a there's a real danger of underestimating Kosovo. They're actually a really good team. I'd recommend reading Sam Dean on Kosovo's rise, um, which is on the website at the moment. Um, it's really, really good, really interesting. Um, so they're undefeated in 15 games, Kosovo. Um, they won their uh, Nations League group um, quite comfortably. Um, they they are actually quite good. They beat Czech Republic on Saturday, so I, I don't really. Uh, I I think what uh, Southgate was doing against Bulgaria was trying to play his best. What he thinks, or more or less, is he thinks his best team at the moment. Maybe there's a couple of changes you could make, like Trent Alexander Arnold for Trippier would be the obvious kind of like for like kind of um, at right back. Um, but I don't I don't foresee too many changes. Uh, I think he'll go with another strong team. I think. Kane and Sterling, for example, would play as
2: well, and Henderson. What I about, really hope that Kosovo can qualify.
3: Yeah, if yeah. they make it to Euro 2020, you would ex- you'd say that's up there with Iceland getting into the Euros. And it's World so much Cup. About a much better story
2: than Iceland. It's the story yeah. of the underdog. It's a story like of a country that has suffered such great madness. And it's, it's funny, you know, because football, we talk about it so much, but then you remember there's certain moments and momentous occasions like when Iraq won the Asia Cup in 2007 after everything that they've suffered in you know, the wars. And then you had Libya winning the African Cup of Nations in 2014, again, a momentous occasion. And I just feel like Kosovo, with everything that they've gone through, with so many players having already declared for other teams, um, ones that would have otherwise represented them, the fact that they don't have the organization, the funding, the support that perhaps Iceland have who know how to put things in place and, and have the freedom to do so. To have Kosovo be so good to come from a region that's so obsessed with football, the national pride—don't underestimate that. And obviously, that's why. I mean, I think that this is a country that's so desperate to to have something to celebrate. And I, I just think it's a nice story for football.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just going back to uh, the what I said mentioned about the Nations League. Uh, so not only will Kosovo do, Kosovo look quite likely to qualify through the group with England where they're second, uh, they also having won the their Nations League group will go into a playoff if they don't qualify through the normal qualifying group. Um, but th- those playoffs will be against Belarus, Georgia and North Macedonia, which um, are the, they were the lowest tier in the Nations League. And if Kosovo, Kosovo beat the Czech Republic, they've got a great record. They're obviously a team on the up and looking at that those fixtures you probably expect them to qualify from from that
3: so many delicious nations league permutations still to be explored <laughs> but let's turn our attention to the rest of the european qualifiers that took place over the last few days germany 2 the netherlands 4 Germany conceding four goals, Mina, doesn't happen too often. There was a wonderful headline I saw in the mail last week, Das Reboot, to explain what was going on with Germany. Uh, but not quite going to plan, is it? Are they still suffering from the after-effects of their disastrous World Cup?
2: Yeah, you sort of never expect Germany to lose, and then you remember them at the World, World Cup, and you think, oh, is Germany really Germany right now? Um, but listen, this is what they're doing right now is they're trying to transition. Um, they're going from a team that was a little bit more about dominating possession. You know, they benefited a lot from having Jupp Heynckes in the Bundesliga at the time who created champions out of his Bayern squad. And then obviously Pep Guardiola came in and, and gave them sort of the how to play the game in, in many ways, you know, that, that lateral passing game that, that dominated the Bayern's, you know, sorry, that, that Bayern dominated with him in charge. And then that seeped over and, and moved over to um, the German national team and you had Cruz and Khadira who were in their prime and just amazing in midfield right now they're trying to be a team that's more about transitioning that's very good in moving fast but they don't really necessarily have it all coming together so you can see it's all a bit slow the back line is nothing short of atrocious at the moment Um Sule just doesn't look like he has the pace at the moment at the back, even though that is one of the things that you would describe him as. He is a fast defender and you looked at him in that match and you just thought to yourself, what are you doing? I don't think that they really understood how to play with that formation, how to play with three at the back. I don't think the wingbacks did enough defensively at times, um, especially on the left-hand side of, of the game. So uh, there are so many things that they just need to click, that need to click into place. And with Holland right now and the confidence that they have, it's becoming a little bit difficult for Germany.
3: Are they the big emerging power in European football at the moment, LA Holland?
1: Yeah, there's lots to be excited about. Um, I mean, that defence is just amazing, isn't it? De Ligt, Van Dijk and Daley Blind, who's actually quite good now again. Um, At the age uh, of 44. Yeah. um, Yeah, they are. I think he is, yeah. He was great for Ajax last season. Really, really great.
3: Um He seemed to have found a role where he just sort of sits there and doesn't do much, which yeah. is There's less, for amazing. He's, of he's
1: less vulnerable in a back well, a back three with a wing back in front of him. Uh his distribution's amazing. Um but I I do think, yeah, they are they are exciting. Uh they are still inconsistent. So they obviously beat Germany four two this weekend but lost to Germany three two not that long ago. So um both of those teams have inconsistencies that are a bit of an issue still.
2: Um, it, it's strange because when you look at them, and you know how we talk about merging powers, they are traditionally one of the powers of European football. But I, I, obviously they've died a little bit the way that Italy died by not qualifying for the World Cup as well. But then you look at that team and you like you can obviously pick out the likes of Van Dijk, um, maybe Frankie de Jong and, and, and De But then you look at it and you're... And when, I, I'm not sure. I look at their spine and I'm still thinking it's Memphis Depay up front, you know. The, re, and the
1: reinvigorated Memphis Depay, no less.
2: Absolutely. And who does play with a certain level of freedom that he's been granted by Koeman. And then you've got Babel and you just think to yourself, it's not this this yeah, I front line that's that, like... Yeah,
1: they, they don't really have a goal scorer, do they? That is that is a bit of an issue. They don't, they don't yeah. have someone who's going to score, um, I don't know, penalties like Harry Kane or something like that.
2: And then, you know, look, you looked at their midfield against Germany. It's Martin De Roon who's obviously had a fantastic season with Atalanta and they qualified for the Champions League and Ronaldo. But then you you wonder whether if they are facing a really top team, how good their spine will stand up because I think that really you pick out maybe Frankie de Jong and I'm not even going to mention de Lix, and Van Dijk as being the two superstars but the rest of the team sometimes... I don't know how strong they will be in the very tough tests and I know that Germany's supposed to be one but in a team that's decided to play Kimmich in midfield when they don't actually have proper right-back options or anyone in that void as well, I'm not sure because it just looks like Yogi Love is doing all the things wrong which just makes Holland look a lot better.
3: Proper tests coming up for Germany. They face 100% record Northern Ireland. Can the Northern Irish get a result against Germany?
1: There's, uh, I mean, well done Northern Ireland for having a 100% record but a bit of caution necessary. They've um, played four games so far, and won all of them. But those four have been two <laughs> games at home against Estonia and Belarus, and two games away against Estonia and Belarus. They've still got four games left, home and away against Holland and Germany. So this is, is when the test starts. This is. Yeah, <laughs> um, I don't know if they can uh, qualify, but you know who knows? They've done. They've got big results before. They're they normally set up quite uh, solidly at the back and uh, make make away teams difficult. Uh, make make it tough for teams that visiting. Visiting Windsor Park, so yeah.
2: Uh, I like them without the ball. I think they work really hard. Yeah, they
1: do, they do. Uh, but yeah, getting a goal against Germany might be tough.
3: Let's move our attention back to the British mainland and talk about Wales. Is it offensive to, to say British and Wales? I'm sure the Welsh <laughs> listeners will be in touch. AFC podcast <laughs> at telegraph.co.uk if you want to point out my ignorance. But Wales just about snuck past Azerbaijan 2-1. Ryan Giggs isn't doing that good a job, is he? No, this, this team should be achieving more.
1: Yeah, the players that they've got, those the, some of the players they've got in attack, um, sort of, they just you just think they should be doing more than should be more than they are currently. Um, it's not really been clear what Giggs is trying to change, how he's trying to make the team play. They, they don't have an obvious game plan um, that w- is really noticeable. Um, yeah, they've not been very impressive. Snuck past Azerbaijan. Uh, don't really look that likely to get out of that group. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not looking great. I'm, I'm not, not convinced by gigs, but um, obviously there's time for that to change.
2: I'm not convinced by how he sort of speaks because sometimes he's like, we need to be faster here. We need to be more patient here. I don't know whether the players know exactly what is, being asked of them. I think there seems to be a little bit of a disorganization tactically. I think they don't look like they know exactly what the plan is. You know, should we go for it? Should we stand back? Like, you need to guide us through this. And I think that he's probably also, this is a big job for him. He's probably also learning on the job as well. And he is sort of in charge of this huge transformation right now. You know, they are going with younger talents, but... You're going to need, this is when you need the likes of Gareth Bale and hopefully Aaron Ramsey when he comes back to just make the difference until they figure it out on a tactical level.
1: That's the thing as well, that while we are being... While they should be better than they are, it's basically because they've got so many good players. But if you look at their population, they really are kind of, or have been punching above their weight recently. But uh, yeah, it's just a bit disappointing. They need to take advantage of this time when they've got so many good attackers.
3: Yeah, it feels like a generation that could be squandered uh, pretty quickly unless they get themselves in gear. What about Scotland? A desperately poor 2-1 home defeat to Russia for them should they be this bad ellie there is a little bit of talent in that squad uh
1: yeah um I, I don't really know they've they've not got the same sort of star names as wales but they've probably got a more consistent team throughout um certainly better defenders uh, than than wales i think um but yeah they should be should really be hoping for slightly more they've now lost 3 of 5 in qualifying they've kind of the qualifying from that group's completely gone really um I, I'm gonna keep talking about the Nations League. Um they yeah. won they, they won their Nations League group, so they will get a playoff at least. Um so now it should just all be about preparing for that. The next the next six months should all be about focusing on peaking in time for those for those playoffs. Um and they've they've got a chance, but yeah, they they are p- quite underwhelming, really.
2: But it is Russia. I mean, their group is difficult. They do have Belgium and they have Russia, and I don't know why people have really underestimated Russia right now. I mean, if if I'm facing them as, as, I don't know, as a big nation, if I'm the Netherlands, I would also be a little bit worried about them. They're perhaps not a team that always does fantastically well on every occasion. We obviously saw them in the World Cup. Um, but it, they are also a side that are just a, a bit further ahead in terms of where they are right now in terms of finding their identity and trying to qualify for this tournament. So perhaps a little bit ahead of where Scotland are. And I do think that as 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 you know, as good as they can be that team, you do see moments where they don't make the most of the what is good in that squad, whether it's leaving the striker a little bit isolated because they've dropped too deep or not really understanding. I, I don't know. I felt a little bit sorry, actually, for McBurney.
3: Talk us through the McBurney thing, Mina.
2: Well, we we can obviously talk about the video uh, where he said uh, what he said. Um, I meant more on a tactical level. (laughs) Um, But I do also feel sorry for him in the sense that I just feel like right now, Everyone just expects you to be a robot that always says the right thing and always do the right thing. And at the end of the day, you know, you're like, okay, well, you're a representative, you're a role model for the children. But he didn't ask to be a superstar. He asked to be a footballer. And he's not going to be perfect. He's going to say what he wants to say. He's looking at something which is his team that are not doing well right now. They're not a Germany, okay. I mean, they're not a side that is going to be, yeah, we're going to you know, trod on everyone and he just came out and said something to one of his friends and I just feel like it's a little bit crazy about the backlash that he received because then what you're doing is creating a generation of people that just say the right things but feel entirely different. So it's a generation of manipulators.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I agree completely, really. Um, I guess just uh, it's the backlash to it is going to increase it, isn't it? People are so angry about McBurney not appreciating sort of being in the position he is. That it's just going to make other players less likely to speak out, which is quite frustrating, isn't it? Or not speak out, but like be honest.
2: But is this, I, I wonder, because I don't know, because I, I feel like I've lived here all my life, but I don't get why we need to be so sensitive about things. You know, like, why yeah, is yeah. it? so weird to be a, a guy who wants to win like you know the things that we fall and we we start like criticizing is oh ronaldo and his clear desire to win McBurney not wanting to play and feeling like you know does he really want to go up with this team that's let's be honest it's going to find it difficult you know
3: seamless transition from ronaldo to mcburnie there. I mean, I've never <laughs> seen it done before finally ireland who got a draw in switzerland they're top of their group after five games but now they play a friendly against the aforementioned bulgaria wasn't the Nations League supposed to end all this madness, Ali? I thought we were done with international friendlies, basically. Oh,
2: yeah. Explain this to us, Ali.
1: It's quite a simple, simple explanation. Um, Ireland are in a group with five teams. There are other teams, uh, groups with six teams, that leaves a weekend off for each team in the qualifying process. Oh. So they have to play a friendly.
3: I'm going to exclusively reveal something. I'm not going to watch that football match.
1: <laughs> no, uh, I, I, don't think, I don't think many people think. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's a good good time for Ireland. Um, yeah, they've got every chance of qualifying. Uh, slight concern uh, since since Robbie Keane's gone, and uh, I don't know if Shane Long's still about. But um, where I don't really know who's their who their goal scorer is. Ireland um, they had four strikers in their current squad and had who had one international goal between them, and that was scored in their last game just before the. Uh, just before the weekend. Uh, so yeah, that's the only concern really, but, um, yeah, exciting times. Dublin's hosting a few, uh, Euro 2020 games. so Yeah, that's why yeah, I think it's so important for them to do let's well. get Island there. Yeah, and Scotland because Scotland are hosting. Mm. Hosting some as well. Mm. Fingers crossed.
2: Yeah, but they have Heart Island. They come back. They're like, we're not going to lose this. Fun we're going to do everything we can. Fun
3: fans as well. I kind of like this. Yeah, but was that was the thing, wasn't it? That, like we're not just here to have a sing song. Was that Roy Keane that said that? We'll, we'll return to Roy Keane very very soon <laughs> oh. after this short bit of audio My content.
1: Hero. Hello podcast listeners, my name's Danny Boyle and I'm the Telegraph's Commuter Editions Editor, which means it's my job to provide you with great journalism that makes your journey to and from work as enjoyable as possible. I can't prevent train delays or guarantee you won't get caught in the rain, but I can make sure you're up to date with the best of The Telegraph every morning and evening. And I just wanted to let you know about one of the ways you can get all that in audio form. All you need to do is join my WhatsApp group. Every weekday, my colleague Chris Price and I bring you short audio briefings directly to your smartphone at eight in the morning and half past five in the afternoon. And the best bit is completely free to sign up and easy. Just click on the link in the show notes for this episode. I look forward to having you as a group member soon.
3: Let's move into a section of the programme which I am calling Spat Watch. We have (laughs) had several arguments in the past week or so, and I want to know whose side you're on in each of the following cases. Michael Owen versus Alan Shearer. This was a proper public falling out, albeit... Conducted over social media. Shearer doing some jokes about Owen's wages. Owen then claiming Shearer nearly joined Liverpool. Who's winning? Who do you want to win? Whose side do you on?
2: Ali, you're looking at me. I'm not on anyone's side. I can understand oh, both of you're neutral Switzerland. It's weird. I can actually <laughs> understand both their point of views. And I think that what they're doing is judging the other person by what they think is by who they are, if that makes sense. So Shearer is the kind of guy that would just die for his club, that will give you his limbs if he has to, if it means a win. And, you know, he's one of those really faithful servants that is a warrior on the pitch and, and really fights for everything. And I think that he just sort of it's like that thing that you have with big players who become coaches. They just don't understand people who aren't like them. Mm. You know, they just don't understand if the, your midfield is not as clever as you were when you were a player, you know. And so then you just, you, he's looking at Michael Owen and thinking, I need you. This is the last day. And if, you know, we don't actually know what happened between them, you know, and, and the conversations they've had or anything like that. And he's probably thinking to himself, if it was me in your position, I would be, I don't mind being in hospital after this. Whereas perhaps with Michael Owen, he's probably thinking, you haven't gone through the injuries that I have. You haven't seen the pain that I've suffered. And I just really don't want to be put into this. No, you know, this isn't this isn't the end all and be all of my life. I do certainly want to at times put myself a little bit first. And you sort of understand that after everything he's been through too.
1: Yeah, and the World Cup was just after those uh, that, that final game of the season. So that's what Owen didn't want to get injured for. Um, you can understand it, but I'm probably slightly more team-shearer here. Um uh Why? sorry
2: because you were you are more that kind of guy. Well, I, ju-
1: I just think Owen he's, he's he's says things like he never wanted to join Newcastle. I I don't he didn't say anything about having a gun to his head. Did he have to do that? Um he 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 ended up making the choice to join Newcastle. Once you're there and your team are po- moments from getting relegated, you you should be doing anything to to uh to to keep them up. You should be playing it at half
2: fit. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, my, my favourite player ever, like in the English Premier League, is Roy Keane, so I totally get like dying for the cause. We keep but... going back to Roy Keene. Well, Keane. Let's, let's, there's, let's there's only one way this let's is. Let's engage dying. now with Roy Keane. <laughs> Roy
3: Keane versus Alex Ferguson. It's a one-sided spat at the moment. But in an interview with the Irish sports show Off the Ball, Roy Keane basically accused Alex Ferguson of nepotism. He said Darren Ferguson was in the United team, won a league medal, was very lucky too. He said Ferguson didn't always act in United's best interest because of how he recalled players from Preston and that he wasn't a good man manager because of how his time ended at Man United and he mentioned Bruce as
1: well. Um, Whose side do you on there? Fergie, all the way. (laughs) It's literally anyone but Roy Keane. Roy Keane is just a a great great footballer, brilliant footballer, undeniable. Just an absolute. I'm struggling not to say a word that isn't allowed to be said on this. He's just a really not nice, not a nice person. Um, just he's the only person in the entire planet that would have a way, find a way of just ranting about Ferguson not not being uh, just finding problems with Sir Alex Ferguson, the the best manager of the entire Premier League era. Once so was responsible for so many trophies that Roy Keane ended up winning, and he just goes goes off on one about him. It's just so so stupid.
2: This is where my NFL thing comes in, by the way. Yes, please. <laughs> what I was going to tell you was that New England Patriots, right? Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. And you sort of don't necessarily feel like they love each other. Um, um, but they both needed each other to win. And I do think that for all those wins that we're talking about, Alex Ferguson, I don't know if they would have, he would have necessarily have them without Roy Keane in midfield. and. I don't know anyone would have put up with Roy Keane the way that Alex Ferguson did in many ways. But what I'll tell you is when you watch that guy against Arsenal and when Patrick Vieira is picking on Neville and he goes out there and and screams. Yeah, amazing amazing player. How can that guy not deserve to walk out the front door? How can that guy deserve to not have his last season I don't care if you're on. I don't care if whatever happens you suck it up it's his last season he deserves to walk out the front door he deserves to be looked at as not as a guy that we terminated mutually his contract I I don't know if he's in many ways one of the reasons why I actually watched the Premier League when I was younger
1: absolutely and I feel sorry for him with that you feel sorry for Roy Keane. Weirdly you know, the enough, only person I feel... you on the entire planet. Because you just feel like, like
2: for, him for him and Shira, like, it matters so much to them. Yeah. And they are a little bit too passionate sometimes. And Roy King is way worse than obviously Shearer is, but it, it's, like, crazy passionate. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's we talk about that video like it was a nuclear weapon. It's true. He does. It is a little bit like, oh my god, we can't ever show it again. You've criticised some people, like
3: the, the keen criticising the players on MUTV.
2: MUTV, and it's just like you know. And then you know who he is. You know what I mean? This is the kind of guy he is. Everyone in the dressing room that you know never liked him. He's crazy, but
1: I I get that. I just think it's. 20 years on, more than, I don't know. Yeah, he still seems very bitter. 20 years on, they won so much together. Like you say, they wouldn't have won it without each other. They were uh, two personalities that clashed horribly. I get that, but just bury the hatchet. Come on, like, just be happy. Yeah, with that, I agree. You guys have had so much success together. Why does he feel the need to go? talking about Ferguson like this. It's
2: it's like the one guy that burned you who was supposed to love you more than anything. It's like a father figure.
1: (laughs) Unedifying but utterly (laughs)
3: compelling to watch, unfortunately. Probably appeals to my very worst instincts how much I enjoyed watching that full video of Roy Keane. (laughs) Finally, Christian Eriksson versus Spurs. Christian Eriksson said last week, I wish I could decide my own future like it was football manager. Ali Tweedale, noted Spurs fan. Whose side are you
1: on here? Mm. Um, I completely understand Eriksson's frustrations but I... uh, Tottenham were holding out for a fee Erikson's a really really important player for them um it wasn't worth it for them to try and get rid of him for just to make 50 million rather than lose him for free next year we've already seen this season how much difference he makes for them uh it, in my book it's right for Tottenham to just keep him and get the most out of him for another year. I can, I can understand exactly where Ericsson's coming from. He's, he's probably outgrown Tottenham. He wants to go to something bigger and better and win some uh, stand a better chance of winning things. But yeah, Tottenham
2: here. I could see both sides to this, exactly that. Nina
3: Rizuki, you're so I'm on the so fence today. Sorry.
2: I know, and I'm never like that. I know. I know. Maybe I'm just tired of the abuse, so I'm just going to sit on the event.
3: <laughs> Let's <laughs> but... leave it there. Let's talk about the Premier League, which returns next weekend. We've got a managerial change already. Javi Garcia sacked by Watford at the weekend, and it is the familiar face of Kike Sanchez-Flores back at Vicarage Road. Is this a good move for Watford, Mina to nip it in the bud early? They'd, they'd started the season horribly. But they've also now got rid of the only manager who has offered any sort of stability to them, seemingly. He's the first manager for years and years to do more than a full season for Watford.
2: And a higher win percentage than Kiko sanchez Flores.
3: Not far apart, though, are they? They're both towards the top of that list of everyone they've had since the Potsos came in.
2: Hmm. Isn't it like he was 45% and the other one was 31%, Kike Sanchez is 31%? I,
3: I might be entirely wrong. Right. <laughs> right. I'm, I am be I too. can picture a bar graph in my mind that I saw something.
2: <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay. Um... <laughs> Listen it's it's a very difficult one like you sort of this you know that this is the way that this management has done things they like to sack coaches um Chelsea have done it one consistently I, who's to say what's right or wrong on this occasion um better to do international week probably should have done it a little bit earlier than that right so you can have the full two weeks with under your new management but either way i'm not entirely sure going back to an ex that you sacked who had a reasonably good season, you know, reached the semifinals of the FA Cup, came 13th. But despite that, you know, they did really trail off badly at the end. And I know that people were, like, outraged that he was sacked initially. But you sort of also could see the signs of things waning. And he hasn't necessarily had this career afterwards that makes you think, oh, they did a bad, you know, it was a bad idea to get rid of him. He does seem to eventually lose the dressing room. He has fallen out with some big players, even Atletico, which was his most successful stint he fell out with Diego Forlan. There's just something about him that sometimes makes you think... Is he really going to be the guy that offers you the kind of stability, the kind of consistency that they're looking for to build on and to become this force that they're trying to be? I'm not necessarily in agreement with who they've chosen to go with, but right now I think it just seems to be like they have this pot that they go to whenever the, you know they need to get a manager in and he's just part of that pot. The,
1: part of the reason he left as well was that he fell out with the club's hierarchy. So just the Potsos are crazy and will fire people whenever they feel like it. They've already done it with Flores once, it just, it just looks like it's going to happen again. I, I'm, I'm saying it now, by the end of the season, Flores won't even, won't even maybe be they'll there. Bring Something in, will go wrong.
2: Maybe they'll just bring Javier Garcia back. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, a wonderful roundabout. What about Man
3: United-Leicester, Ali? Big game for Ole Gunnar show potentially this weekend.
1: Yeah, huge and quite exciting because it's right on that cusp of... Uh people talking about Leicester breaking into the top six, talking about people also talking about Man United maybe dropping out of it. It's it's one of the it's a really exciting game. Um there's definitely a more positive feeling about Leicester at the moment than there is about United. So uh yeah, I, I'm looking forward to that one. Um I think United could shock us. yeah, yeah, yeah quite possibly.
2: I'm just interested because the tactical match up, you know, like a counter-attacking team versus a side that plays more like of an expansive game and you know, a little bit more about possession, which one will end up winning.
1: Yeah, Brendan Rodgers has had some really good days at Old Trafford as well, hasn't he? he had that 3-0 um when he just put uh Sterling up, uh, Sterling in the hole and just he just had acres of space uh to to work in and they just Liverpool just battered United. Um so, yeah, it was uh, very exciting.
2: I feel, I'll i feel really sorry for United if they lose this
3: one. Oh, come on, Mina. I don't know why. Come on. Probably I yourself together. I to
2: Feeling
1: sorry for Roy Keane and Manchester United. <laughs>
3: yeah, something's going <laughs> to arrive. Something strange
2: is happening. I'm, 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 I'm so in love with the big <laughs> players and the big teams. I, I hate seeing them, like, you know, go through a bad moment. Oh,
1: I love it. It's part of what makes
2: football so good. <laughs>
1: Lovely
3: bit of music there from Claude and the Faceless Technocrats to welcome Song for Europe, Mina. It's back. And so is our old friend, Wanda Nara, who doesn't seem overjoyed about her husband, Mario Icardi's move to PSG.
2: Oh, I kind of feel sorry for her. I do. I actually feel sorry for her, too. Oh, my God, you're going to just shout at me now. <laughs> yeah. I get it. She's an agent for Mario Icardi. She talks too much. She's put him into a lot of trouble. She's also his wife. But, you know, listen, they asked her about this move, and she's saying, For me personally, as a wife, where my children are going to school in Milan, yes, it's obviously not the best move because we're now having a long distance marriage, you know, where the father's not around and he's so close to the family, where they just have this brand new apartment in Milan. They did kind of want to stay in Italy because that's where their life is. So she's saying on a personal level, this is not the best move for me. But on a professional level, I think they're thrilled that it's PSG because... It's obviously a big club. It's obviously a great move for Icardi, having moved from Inter. Juventus was the where they wanted to be. But if you can't get that, then how much better is it to just play with the likes of Neymar and Kylian Mbappe every day?
3: Staying with Italy, there seems to be this enormous exodus from the Premier League to Serie A this season. and the latest to end up there. Are there any names in this latest group of players who are going to be completely rejuvenated by Serie A, like Jovinio and Salah were?
2: Yeah, it's a difficult one. I mean, a lot of this does have to do with the growth decree tax. Um, and also like just the fact that we. Italy right now just gives you a sort of like a, an excuse to not pay too many taxes right. if you come to them. So it's it's a very, um, f- for those people who want to make money, you just look at that and you think this is great um, for the players who have any foreign money coming in and for the clubs who don't need to pay tax only on ha- on half of uh, 50% of the wages. So that's one of the reasons why there's all these players wanting to come to Serie a. I think the other reason as well is because when you have people like Ronaldo and Dillich choosing to go there, you're thinking to yourself, maybe this is a team Antonio Conte's back in Inter. There's now something more of a league. Ancelotti's at Napoli. This is going to be perhaps a little bit exciting. I'm interested to see what was happening with Mikatarian and Smalling, but we don't know what Palo Fonseca is going to be like. I mean, you've seen Lucescu, <laughs> who was the former coach of Shakhtar, say, well, he just built on what I created. So... We're not entirely sure this is his, his baby. This is going to be his first you know, time, I guess, in, in Serie A to just have his own team to do something special. I think that Mkhitaryan's had a great... Well, he did really great in the qualifiers. Maybe he'll be the guy that changes them, but it's not a position that's very important to Roma. I think Smalling could be interesting to watch, um, but I think that it's going to be Lukaku from anyone that's coming out who's going to make the difference because it's Antonio Conte.
1: Can, can I just ask one thing about, uh, about that? With Chris Smalling... Uh, obviously um, English players uh, quite rarely go to Italy uh, I imagine it might be something that people get half excited about are people actually excited if, when they see Chris Smalling signed I, I mean it's the kind of signing that a big club in England would be like what is my team doing <laughs> but, I mean I'm not I'm not saying that he's he's bad or will be bad but is, he, is that something that might get people excited in, in Italy
2: um, I think it's exciting only because he's Manchester United right, Um, yeah. um I think that they're very much aware of his flaws. (laughs) Um, I think they are... When you see the alternatives that were being mentioned at the time, um, you just think to yourself, oh God, let it be Smalling, if that makes sense. So I think that when they've looked around and they've realized the potential of who could come in and do that job for them, they just thought Smalling is the best one because at least he's played for United, at least he has big game experience, at least he can, you know, he's... He understands what to do on certain occasions in a way that some of his uh, po- the potential uh, arrivals would have done. Lovren was another one, actually. Oh, uh, yeah. But um, we're him. not too in love with him because he's very much in love with himself.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about Romelu Lukaku, Mina, racially abused last weekend? Uh, and then there was that really strange statement from the Internationale fans saying that he shouldn't be offended by it tell me about what's being what the setup is in italy for this is there like a kick it out or any kind of institutional like desire to do anything about this problem or is that it is that you know interfans put the statement out and now that's as far as it goes
2: basically pretty much yeah um, there are ways of applying the rules and matches should you hear anything, any racist chanting, um, anything that potentially could disturb the player or anything that's horrendous in that way. You are supposed to you have a protocol um, and UEFA has also released the same protocol. So we know what it is. We have the rules in place. We have the technology to identify, to name and shame the fans that commit such atrocities. But unfortunately, I just think a lot of the times applying that law is something different because I don't think referees um, feel that they have the power or want to necessarily have the power to stop games should such things arise because they're like, well, my first concern is public safety. So if I stop this game, is this going to all descend into chaos and madness? So I need to have the officials, uh, you know, with me, the the Italian Federation being like, okay, we're going to stop this game. We agree with you and we're going to help you out when this happens. They don't feel supported. Other referees who have refereed in the game before, Italians, have said, this is crazy, you should have that power, you are supposed to be the moral authority on that football field, and you should never let a player feel that way. So there's this whole discussion taking place. But at the moment, what you have in Italy is a lot of people who say the right things, but not necessarily go on to to actually show this commitment to to doing the right things. And... I mean, Inter came out, we, you know, we're discussing Cagliari now, but Inter were fans themselves who released that atrocious statement. They don't represent the whole Inter fans, can I just say this, because there was another statement that was then released saying, this is just abysmal, we can't believe that this statement was initially released, all of this business. And Inter, who did racially abuse Koulibaly, their fans, um, a certain section of them at the time, what I thought Inter did really well was not appeal was allow the fact that their stadium was closed for two games and they're one of the teams that you know, always bring in a lot of fans and make a lot of money out of it. So they didn't appeal it. They tried to do something about it, but it's not enough. I think that you can't just ask only the clubs to do something. You have to have the whole federation supported. You need to bring in the cameras. You need to point out who these guys are that are doing this. You need to ban them from the statement. You need to put them into jail and then maybe this will stop these things happening.
1: You need docked points, surely. That something like
2: that. Absolutely something like
1: that. I, I don't think stadium bans are really going to for fans that really want to get there, they will still. it's not enough. To. Yeah, it's Your not stadium bans are not enough. If, if, so soon soon as, soon. if Cagliari got docked 5 points, then all of a sudden they're in a they're they're in a much worse position than Well, their president in. would do
2: certainly a lot more in identifying who the culprits are and exactly. making sure they never come back. Yeah.
3: Happier stuff in England this weekend where the WSL returned 63,000 at the games across the weekend. Interestingly, more at Man City where they were charging for tickets than there were at Chelsea where they gave them away for free. But um, it seems like a good decision, Ali, to, to start the season with the uh, women's teams playing in the bigger stadiums.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, hopefully a load of the people that go to those games really enjoyed it and will also now go to the games when they're not when they're not at the big stadiums. So yeah, um, looks better on telly doesn't it um so yeah really really positive uh, to have so many people go but slightly disappointing that so many didn't turn up with their free tickets to Stamford bridge there's but, something
3: strange about that isn't there yeah. i think i think there is a question about when you do give something away for free it is less appealing isn't it you got to, i think even a token amount of money is a more attractive proposition to
1: well it's easier to if you've paid five pounds you might think oh well, i don't want to let that go to waste but if you've just filled in a form and got a ticket for free then you have then there's, yeah.
2: You're more likely so, to let like, it go to waste. Yeah,
1: but is uh, still, there's still, what, uh, what was there, 25,000 at Stamford Bridge or something like that. Uh, still good. Mm. Uh, yeah, great to have that many there.
3: Yeah. Do you think they can keep the momentum going all season, Ali? Um, obviously, Women's World Cup was a tremendous success. It felt like a much bigger deal than it has done in the past. Uh, yeah, I know you spoke to Beth Mead last week. Was she feeling positive about uh, the direction of the league?
1: Yeah um they are the players are really positive but they also kind of uh, Beth in particular was uh, saying to me she uh she thought it's all small steps don't let's not go start thinking we're going to sell out the etihad and Stamford bridge every week that's not that's not going to happen um they they want um they know that they need a domestic tv deal um just to get a bit more exposure um but yeah they're really positive they say they're going in the right direction um she's getting used to getting recognised in the street and stuff like that, which is amazing. Um, so yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's all it's all very positive. There's a re- really positive feeling about it and it, uh, it's, it's, it's good. It's great to watch.
3: Yeah, and two brilliant goals this weekend that won the big derbies. Caroline Weir for City against United and Beth England for Chelsea against Spurs. Which was your favourite?
1: The City goal was... was Agreed. Was, it was just, just beautiful. It re- reminded me of Andy Robertson, the way she struck that ball. Just kind of like coming in off the left, hitting it, Basically, the, di- the exact direction she was running. Um, yeah, really, really, really good golf.
3: Yes, 20 more of that, please. That's your lot for this week. We'll be back with you next week, along with the Premier League. Surely, plenty of football to discuss. You can contact me on Twitter if you like. Before then, it's at Tom with an H Gibbs. Don't forget to send us an email as well. Let us know if you're enjoying the show, or if you're not. We'll probably read out the best of what you send us, not so much the negative stuff. No one wants to hear that. It's a podcast. You're listening to it for joy. afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk is the email address. Subscribe to Audio Football Club by typing those words into wherever you get your podcasts and probably tapping on the place where it says subscribe. You can do it. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons. Thanks to you and company. I'll talk to you again soon.